Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather together. We can assemble like this and we have the freedom to worship you, to sing praises to your name, to be called into your presence and your worship, to be reminded that our sins are forgiven, and then to open your word and study and, and be taught. And we pray that you would speak to us and, and teach us uh, even now, Lord, in these minutes that we have. And we ask this for your sake, for the furthering purpose of the kingdom of Jesus in our lives. Would you, would you work in us? We pray in his name. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, since it's Mother's Day, I thought we would talk about pearls and pigs. I didn't plan this. It just worked out this way, you know, in this series that we've been uh, studying, the Sermon on the Mount. Moms, do you ever feel like in your efforts to love and teach and protect and encourage and nurture members of your family that you are casting your pearls before swine? <laughs> do you? You ever feel that way? <laughs> well, Jesus said these words. He said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So, what exactly is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that some people are pigs? Uh, not you and me, of course. Uh, some people are apparently spiritual dullards. Uh, they do not appreciate things that are sacred and things that are holy. Uh, it's like they have some type of spiritual disability, if you will. And you and I, on the other hand, we have pearls, right? Pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth, pearls of good advice, pearls that could straighten these other people out if only they would receive them. But they won't because they are spiritual dullards. And of course, children, spouses, people of other religions, people who kind of view life secularly or atheists or what have you, people who just won't listen. And so should, therefore, we not waste our time on people who are like this, people who are not worthy. Question, is that what Jesus is saying here in this text? Some people understand have interpreted this passage very much in that way. But does that sound like Jesus? Yeah, it's a little bit puzzling. Uh, this business about pearls and pigs, is a, it's an intriguing saying. And followers of Jesus have sometimes been a little bit unsure exactly how to interpret it, let alone how to apply it. Uh, this is a true story. There were a group of children one time gathered together and they were asked, what does it mean don't cast your pearls before swine? And one little boy said, it means I should never give my toys to my sister. <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying? Is that, is that what Jesus has in mind? My toys are my pearls and my sister is swine. You see, there, there is a problem with that interpretation. The idea that some people are unworthy swine who you should not help because they're not worthy of your help. Because the Bible quite consistently contends that all people, you and me and people everywhere are in the sinful, wicked, fallen, broken, all we like sheep have gone astray, messed up people category. We're in that category, all of us. And if Jesus is the great treasure, uh, if Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom and truth, which 
Jesus followers believe. If Jesus is the pearl of heaven, so to speak, well, then he should never have been cast into the midst of us, not any of us, because we, all of us, are in the messed up people category. That's the category we're all in. And yet Jesus actually said it was precisely for this reason, for messed up people, sinful people, wicked people, lost people, that he came. In fact, he said one time, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, he said, but sinners. And that's us, all of us. Jesus did not teach that we should not do good things for people who might reject or misuse them. In fact, he taught precisely the opposite. Uh, does this sound familiar? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Remember those words, we studied them together. So again, let's kind of back up a little. Let's, let's try to be very clear about this. Jesus is not saying that certain classes of people are to be viewed as pigs or dogs and that they are unworthy of our great pearls. Not what he's saying. In fact, nobody ever taught or modeled the worth and the dignity of human beings more clearly than Jesus did. Nobody. And so what exactly is Jesus saying? Well, I think he might be saying this. The problem with giving a pearl to a pig is not that the pig isn't worthy. The problem is a pearl is not a helpful thing to give to a pig. Very few pigs know what to do with pearls. Jesus is actually getting to a much deeper problem, I think, that occurs in human relationships. He's giving us wisdom that could save a lot of friendships, a lot of marriages, a lot of parent-child relationships. Uh, sometimes the, the, the pearl that you know you have, and I would kind of say the pearl, you know, the pearl that you know you have that is so wonderful that you want so badly to give, sometimes that pearl will not be wanted. Sometimes that pearl will not be helpful, especially when you try to force it on somebody. True story. One time, many, many, many years ago, this was even before we came here to, to, uh, to Colorado, I bought Holly a pearl necklace. These were freshwater pearls. And uh, I knew this was a risky deal, very risky deal, because Holly's not a traditional jewelry kind of gal, right? Uh, the bling that she likes is kind of bohemian bling, if you know what that is. That's kind of like amber with bugs in it, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I knew that this is a risk. I was going out on a limb here, and I had my hopes up that she would really like it. I imagined there could be a, a real hallmark moment created here, and Holly would be filled with you know tears and just gratitude for this. So I gave her the little box of the freshwater pearls, and she opened it, and you could just tell immediately. I mean, it was obvious to me immediately, this was not the right gift, you know? <laughs> I mean, she was courteous, she was kind, but you know, you could just see it. Either somebody really, oh, thank you so much, or thank you so much, you know? It's a, <laughs> and I could tell, you know, this was not the thing she wanted. So what's the point? Well, you see, I had cast my pearls before. <laughs> no, that's not the point, come on. The point really is that a pearl doesn't really nourish a pig. 
That's really the point. I'm not saying Holly's a pig. I'm just saying, you know, the, in the metaphor here, you know, the pearl does not nourish the pig. And nourishment is what a pig is always looking for. A pig wants slop. If you put a bunch of slop in a trough, you'll have a happy pig. The pig will love eating the slop. But if you put pearls in the trough, you will not have a happy pig because a pig wants nourishment. A pig wants slop. A pig wants food. You'll have an ungrateful pig. Look at all the pearls. Yeah, so, so let's just say you fill the trough up with lots of pearls. Well, unhappy pig. The pig can't do anything with that. Pearls are not what the pig needs. Why? Well, because the pig is hungry, right? Back to that. The same is true with the dog. Uh, Jesus mentions the dog. Uh, You give a dog what is sacred. Let's say you give a nice leather Bible to a dog. Or let's say you give a, one of those manger uh, little dealies that are all the rubber figures, the shepherds and the wise men and baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and so on. You give that to a dog. What is a dog going to do with these things? The dog is going to chew them up. Eventually, the dog will eat the little lambs and the shepherds and even baby Jesus if you don't save them. It, it, the dog does not appreciate these gifts. So do not give what is sacred to a dog. Not because the dog is unworthy, uh, not because the dog is not loved, but simply because it won't help the dog. Now, this is something important for all of us to understand. Whenever you open the Bible and read it and study it, any any part of the Bible, it's very important that you, you want to keep in mind the larger context of that passage that you're reading. Context always matters. In Matthew chapter 7, we've been looking uh, actually for some weeks now at this passage, and uh, Jesus has been talking about wrong ways of relating to people, especially wrong ways that religious people, you and me, you know, religious people fall into. And Jesus has been highlighting some of those wrong ways that we relate to people. A few weeks ago, uh, well, I should just say, if you're curious about things he said, you can go online and check out those messages. A few weeks ago, we saw Jesus saying this, do not judge, remember that? And what he meant by that was literally do not judge. Don't go around condemning, judging, constantly criticizing. Then we saw him say, don't be pointing out the speck in your brother or sister's eye without addressing the plank It's in your own. He gives us that warning about criticizing and blaming others. Now he's saying, don't throw your pearls, again, pearls, right, to pigs. He's still talking about wrong ways that religious people tend to relate to others. Jesus is forbidding the practice of what we could call pearl pushing. That's what he's forbidding. This is when you're trying to push pearls, your wisdom, your will, uh, your way, your superior, better knowledge onto another person, even when they don't want it, even when it's not really being helpful to them, you see. It's uh, Jesus here, when he talks about pearls and he talks about pigs, I think is actually teaching with some humor. I've done this a couple of times. I think had that been their practice back then, I think Jesus might have done that. I'm talking about pearls. You know, we think we've got a lot of wisdom. And I'm talking about pigs. That's the way we view these people sometimes who don't want our wisdom. I think Jesus is actually teaching with some humor. You sort of have to put those air quotes around pearl and around pig and around dog and so. Jesus is saying that pearl pushers tend to criticize more often than they encourage kind of our natural bent to see what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with you, what's wrong with you, and, and point that out to people. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, was one of those pearl pushers once upon a time, and he met Jesus, transformation, change happened in his life. He began to view people 
more like the way Jesus viewed people, not as Gentiles, you know, and Jews. And when all of that happened, you know, the, the Apostle Paul gets grown up to the place where he can look at people and he can write something like this to the church at Rome. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. In other words, let's, let's stop being pearl pushers. And that's Paul, I'm sure, preaching to himself. Let's stop correcting other people all the time, especially people who aren't asking for correction or for critique. We have to kind of stop looking at the world as us versus them, me versus you, you know? You know how that is? You can live in the world of me versus you. Somebody said once there are only two kinds of drivers in the world, and I think this kind of illustrates the me versus you. You might have noticed this when you drive. There are maniacs who drive faster than you, and there are idiots who drive slower than you. Have you noticed this? <laughs> yeah. It's easy to live in that world. It's easy to view the world that way. I mean, here's me, and here are all these losers on both sides of me, you see. The point is, if you look for flaws in other people, you're going to find them, guaranteed. And you'll go through life wondering why people don't seem to want to be around you ever. You're not encouraging. You're not loving. You're not merciful. You're critical. Being a pearl pusher is a very lonely way to live, guaranteed. Pearl push pushers tend to adopt a tone of superiority. I mean, you have to, right? You're a maniac. You're an idiot, you see, but not me. The pigs generally notice this. Again, pigs, right? Pigs have pretty sensitive radar. And so Jesus' teaching here is if the pig isn't ready for your pearl, then don't give it to them. Be discerning. Part of loving somebody is not just knowing what to say, it's knowing when to say it. In addition, it's knowing when not to say it, right? Wisdom. This is from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, howdy neighbor, you know, early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. That's what the Proverbs tell us, you see. I mean, I mean you blessing, but it's not going to be received as blessing. The pig wants to sleep, right? Now understand, the pearl that we have might be genuinely good wisdom. I mean, what we want to share with this person might be a good thing. Maybe they really need to hear this, and maybe it would be good for me to tell them, or maybe not. Do they want to hear it? What is receptivity? Maybe the pearl is the story about Jesus himself. I think of a young man I knew many years ago. He, he really loved Jesus. He was passionate about wanting to tell others about Jesus, and these are all good things. He was part of a team of people who would go out door to door, knocking on doors in the neighborhood and, and engaging people as they stood there at their front door, partially open, and and he was very persistent in sharing the gospel. He was going to tell them the whole gospel, whether they really wanted to hear it or not. And very often he would get into arguments standing there at this person's front door. Sometimes on occasion, some shouting and yelling would happen. I know this because I was his partner and I was in shock watching this, you know. But each time he would take those encounters as just, you know, I'm just suffering for Jesus. When in reality, I think he was suffering for being a pearl-pushing jerk. 
That's why I think he was suffering. You see, the pigs around him were not very happy with the way, the manner in which he gave them his pearls of wisdom. So when it comes to telling other people about your faith, for example, we'll just talk about that piece for a moment. When it comes to inviting people to join your church here, be aware of something called the law of supply and demand. In other words, monitor what the level of demand for spiritual conversation is coming from this other person with whom you're engaged. I mean, are they asking questions about God? Are they wanting to know some of your spiritual story? Why do you believe this? How did you come to believe this? Uh, And then adjust your level of supply, you know, how long you go on talking about spiritual things and spiritual matters, adjust that to their level of demand. Be sensitive. What is their level of interest? What questions are they asking? Uh, If the other person is not looking at you anymore, you know, you're, you're engaging them, but they're they're doing one of these, you know, or if they're looking at their watch uh, or if they just kind of are looking for exits or something of that nature, if they're not asking questions, if they're not looking you in the eye and nodding along and so, as opposed to nodding off, then you've probably violated the law of supply and demand. And it's time to stop pushing the pearl and maybe start watching and paying attention to the pig. Again, air quotes, right? Pearl pushing can happen in marriages. It can happen at work. If you're always telling people, correcting people, pointing out their weaknesses, and then, oh, yeah, by the way, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, you loser. You know, that's not not acceptable. Pearl pushing happens between friends. It can happen in a church. Just always giving advice, always giving correction. A place where I think pearl pushing happens a lot too and does oftentimes a lot of damage is when it comes to parents trying to parent children. Uh, This is difficult territory. If you've ever been a parent, you know how true this is. Uh, Parental pearl pushing is a major source of alienation in families. And, And that's because parenting is so difficult. Parenting is so tricky. Reading the, the, the moment, the time, the, the law of supply and demand, it, very tricky business. When your children are first born, you need to watch over every part of their lives. Am I right? I mean, you control when they eat, when they sleep, what they wear, where they go, who they see, who they don't see, what they watch, what they hear. It's a very heavy weight being a parent, making all of these decisions for your child as this little boy or little girl grows up and gets older. I think there's only one thing harder than being in control of your child's life. Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's not being in control of your child's life. That's really hard. Because a transition happens at certain points where we become less and less in charge of our children's lives and making those transitions in healthy ways is tricky business. Parents live with pressure and with expectations and worry and hopes and love and their own ego tied into this all mixed together. And that's just the truth for those people who parent. It's a messy business. This is a true story. One mom who had uh, tried really hard to get her daughter into a top choice, top tier school, um, because she wanted, of course, her daughter to succeed and and have a good life and a good education. Well, she failed. She couldn't get her daughter into that school. And uh, the mom said, I'm worried. I'm worried about what this means for the future of my daughter. And that's, of course, understandable in some cases. 
But in this case, not so much because her daughter was three years old. Yeah, a little over the top maybe. Here's the deal. Inflated expectations and pressure can lead to lots of pearl pushing by parents. I've got to have my child make the grade. I've got to have my child accomplish this. I've got to have my child show this kind of obedience. So sit up straight, clean your room, get your homework done. Did I mention your homework? Uh, I don't think your model nuclear reactor is good enough to get an A, so I'm going to have to do that for you. You know, why aren't you more like so-and-so, your brother, your sister, this child, this student? Why can't you do what so-and-so does? Why won't you listen to me? Why don't you do what I tell you to do? And you may not say those things, but if you're thinking them, I would just say to you, pigs have pretty good radar and they pick up on this. They feel those kinds of things. And everybody here had parents. I'm a genius, I know this. Uh, so question, how many of you really wish your parents had given you more lectures when you were growing up? How many? You know, just one more lecture on that subject and I would have been a different person, right? So often our kids know exactly what we're going to say before we say it. Isn't that true, parents? You see, the point of Jesus' teaching here on the pearl and the pig is not, it's not don't confront sin or evil in the life of your child. That's, that's not what he's saying. He talks about that elsewhere. It's not don't set boundaries and enforce them. He talks about that elsewhere too. It's not don't have consequences for bad. It's not that. We all need to do that. Those are in appropriate age, appropriate kinds of ways as parents. And that can be parents. That can be tricky sometimes figuring out. But that's, that is part of the parent's job. Jesus' point is don't force your wisdom on a non-receptive person. You cannot control any other human being in spite of the fact that we never seem to remember that and always try to live in contradiction to it. I'm going to control you. I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do. I'm going to get you to do what's good for you. See, here's the problem. Every human being has their own little kingdom, and we've talked about this. Certain things that only they can control. You can lock them down, but they'll still think things you don't want them to think, you see. Their own little kingdom. And their kingdom is not your kingdom. You cannot make sure that any human being turns out the way you want them to turn out. You have to let go. And as a follower of Jesus, you have to make space for God to work. God is the only one who can enter into someone else's little kingdom at the very deepest level and bring change in us. He's the only one. In particular, for those of us who love God and follow Jesus, believe me, I know, I know, I know, I get this. What we want for our kids more than anything else, top priority, is for them to love and know and follow Jesus with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. Of course, that's what we want. And I know there's maybe nothing more painful for a parent than to know that their, their greatest treasure in life, which is following Jesus, is not really wanted, is not a priority for their kids. I once talked to a man who had had a child later in life in his 40s and hadn't had any children prior to that. And he shared with me that his prayer was that God would never give him children 
unless that child would be a lifelong follower of Jesus. I thought, oh. And so he was assuming that because God had given him this child, he had some kind of guarantee on this. He had a no-risk child when it came to spiritual matters. And I, I just remember thinking, yeah, yeah, let's see how that works. But uh, he was saying, I don't want the pain of having to love a child who does not hold the faith the same way I do. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure I would want to be that man's child because I suspect the pressure was coming. I wouldn't want to live under that kind of weight, I don't think. Because you see, in the all-wise providence of God, God lets people wrestle. God lets people fail. God lets people make choices, good choices, bad choices, incredibly dumb choices, right? And he does this even at the cost of great pain to himself. Do you get that? This thing, the cross, God lets us do incredibly broken, sinful, stupid, hurtful, harmful things at the cost of Jesus' pain, the cross. It's remarkable. Think about this. God loves people even when people reject him all the time. He makes the sun to shine on them. He causes the rain to to fall on them, on people who don't love him, on people who shake their fist at him, just like he does on people who do love him, people who take him for granted, people who marginalize him. He's not a priority. God still loves them. This is is why in a spiritually flourishing church, everybody, not just just the parents, but everybody needs to own a part, a piece of, you know, raising up our children, raising up our students to be rooted and grounded in faith, in God, in life, in love, in the gospel. Um, Let me make this kind of personal for a moment because... uh, This is actually very, very, very important to our church. People who do research about faith development in children, they say that the biggest predictor, this is humanly speaking, the biggest predictor of a child remaining committed to God is that as they grow up, they have a multi-generational team pouring into them, sharing the love of Christ with them, showing them what it looks like to live a life where they walk with Jesus. Let, let me explain. So if you're a parent, what you want ideally, according to these researchers, is you want five adults who will want to see your child grow up in faith in Jesus, discover the real love of Jesus, the care of Jesus. You want five adults speaking into that process over a period of years. That team could be grandparents, it could be aunts, it could be uncles, but these are people actively engaged in speaking into the life of your child. This could be ministry leaders, student pastors, uh, people working in children's ministry. Maybe it's somebody with whom you've gone on a mission trip and they just take it upon themselves to speak meaningfully and probably powerfully into the life of your child. Maybe it includes somebody who's in a small group with you, or maybe uh, this is the, the parent of one of your child's friends who passionately loves Jesus and takes it upon themselves to model what loving Jesus looks like. These are spiritual people 
speaking into the life of your growing child. You know, it's a weird thing about children. I don't know uh, that I fully understand this, but I sure have seen it firsthand. There comes a time in the life of every child when they don't want the pearls of their parents anymore. Anybody notice this? Or is this just in the core? Yeah, as great as your pearls are, they prefer somebody else's pearls. Uh, Tony Dungy, you heard of him before? Uh, his Super Bowl winning NFL coach, you know. Uh, his son was in high school, the true story, playing on the football team. Wow. He was uh, expending lots of energy, of course, uh, playing on the football team. But all he would eat for breakfast was a Pop-Tart, Tony Dungy uh, shares. And so Tony Dungy thought he would speak into the life of his son and told him about sci the science of nutrition and training and all this and said, son, you need to eat a bigger breakfast, a more nutritious breakfast if you're going to be able to perform at the level that you need to perform. And so, you know, this guy's getting, <laughs> he's getting this information from an NFL Super Bowl winning coach. What do you think he did with it? Yeah, right, Dad. He didn't do anything with it. Not a thing. Then one day, Tony Dungy comes downstairs into the kitchen, and his son is fixing this great big breakfast, eggs, bacon, oatmeal, fruit, right? And Tony Dungy says he was so glad that his son had received his pearl and was doing something with it. He just couldn't resist comment. Hey, son, I, I see you're having a great breakfast. And son said, yeah, my coach said I needed a bigger breakfast. <laughs> His dad is a Super Bowl winning NFL rock star, right? But he's dad. There's that point that comes when it's not dad's pearl or mom's pearl that you want. The pig doesn't want the pearl, right? Here's the deal. We all own together the need to help pass the torch of faith on to the next generation. And I want to just say as a pastor, I am over the top grateful to people in this church, every single one of you, every person who volunteers your time, your energy, your heart, your passion to loving our children in our children's ministry here or loving our students in our student ministry. You pour into them. You help them know the love of God. And I just want to underline and emphasize, and I don't think I can overemphasize how important that ministry that you have is to those children, to those students, vitally important. Even human research underlines the importance of these children and these students having other adults in addition to the parents. It takes a village. You remember that phrase? Thank you, Hillary. But it, there's an element of truth to that. There just really is. Um, now, understand, as much as you moms and dads love your kids, here's a piece of news for you. God loves your kids way more than you do and way better. God's heart breaks over your child more than your heart breaks when you see them going down a path that's not good for them. Point is, you can release your child into the hands and into the care of God knowing this to be true. And I say this to all of you who are parents. You see, you are responsible to your children for certain things. You are. I mean, when they're real little, you got to feed them, clothe them, diaper them, undiaper them, diaper them, undiaper them, diaper them, undiaper them, right? 
You are responsible to your children, but please hear me, you are not responsible for your children, especially as they grow. You see, that's a burden you are incapable of carrying, incapable. And so you pray, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I can't change your heart. You parents can't change the heart of your child either. That's something only God can do. You see, this is one of the things pearl pushers need to learn because we think if they don't get this pearl that I've got, uh, who knows where that's going to go? Well, if they don't want your pearl, God, perhaps working through somebody else, is going to have to get it to them. And he can. There's a story about what can happen when you stop looking uh, at people with a critical eye, when you stop trying to force your wonderful pearls, right, at somebody. It was written a long time ago, back in the 1970s. It's actually a, a story of fiction. But I want to tell it to you, and then I want to tell you what the back story to that story is. It's a story about a fifth grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson. Some of you, I bet, have heard this story and a fifth grade boy named Teddy Stollard, a boy that Mrs. Thompson didn't like. Teddy did not play well with other children. His clothes were always kind of a mess. Uh, he was just unpleasant, really, as a student to be around, kind of disruptive, kind of uncooperative in the classroom. And it got to the point where Mrs. Thompson kind of took delight in putting lots of red ink on Teddy's papers to let him know he was not doing well. And that kind of made her feel good to get, get back at Teddy for the disruption that he presented in the classroom. And it wasn't until about halfway through the school year that it was just time for her to check out the files of the students. And so she went and picked up Teddy's file and read a little bit. Uh, of course, everybody has a story, don't they? And Teddy's first grade teacher wrote these words, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote these words, Teddy is an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother is very ill and life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote these words, Teddy's mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't seem to show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote these words. Teddy is withdrawn, does not show much interest in school. So by now, Mrs. Thompson was kind of getting the idea. She was seeing what the problem was, and to be quite honest, she was ashamed of how she had been looking at Teddy and dealing with Teddy, and she began to interact with Teddy very differently. She began to care, and she began to show interest in Teddy. And that year, as the first semester drew to a close and Christmas was coming, uh, she felt bad on the day that all the students, you know, bring the, the, the teacher, those, those presents from home that the parents don't want anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm married to a teacher. I know this to be true. Um, but these presents come wrapped in beautiful paper and ribbons, right? Shiny paper and all the presents except Teddy's present. It was very clumsily wrapped in, in grocery bag paper. But Mrs. Thompson was 
quite careful to open Teddy's present in the middle of all the others. So it wouldn't be the first present. It wouldn't be the last present. Some of the children started to laugh when she opened Teddy's present and found an old rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones actually missing and a half full uh, bottle of cheap perfume. Some of the students started laughing and she stifled that right away when she exclaimed, oh, how beautiful this bracelet is, Teddy. Thank you, thank you so much. And she put it on. And then she dabbed some of the perfume on herself. And that day, Teddy Stollard stayed after school that day just, just long enough to thank Mrs. Thompson and to tell her that she smelled just like his mom used to. And that that bracelet, it looked really pretty on her wrist, just like it had on his mother's. After the children left that day, Mrs. Thompson spent quite a long while weeping. And on that day, she quit teaching reading and writing and arithmetic, and she started from that day forward teaching children. Mrs. Thompson paid more and more attention to Teddy. And as she worked with him, she saw tons, tons of improvement. And she saw lots of good in him. It was like his mind just came alive from the attention. And the more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, the faster he responded. And by the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class. Now, fast forward. Six years later, she got a note from Teddy. He'd finished high school second in his class. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he would be graduating from college with highest honors. And then four years after that, another letter came, and this time the letter was signed Theodore F. Stollard, MD. And he told her that he had met a girl and that he was getting married, and he wanted to know if she would come and sit in the place of the mother of the groom. And of course she did. And she wore the bracelet, and she wore the cheap perfume. And when he thanked her for being the best teacher he had ever had, she told him he had it all wrong. He was the one who had taught her because her teaching had never been the same. Never been the same after teaching Teddy. Now that story was written by a woman named Elizabeth Ballard and she said it was triggered by two real life events in her life. Once was a time when she'd been teaching Sunday school because she happened to be a Jesus follower. She was teaching in a, a, her church, little children, and uh, she was teaching and a, a grubby little boy <laughs> gave her a rhinestone bracelet with stones missing and some cheap perfume. And that moment reminded her of when she was a little girl and she was growing up in a family that was very, very poor and she had no money and she brought her teacher a gift of pecans from a tree that was in their yard. And when she gave that gift to her teacher, other students started to laugh and her teacher very wisely stifled the laughing immediately and, and just told her this was the perfect gift. This was what she wanted. She was gonna take those pecans and she was going to, to make a fruitcake, which of course was a lie because nobody makes a fruitcake. Um, <laughs> fruitcakes just happen because of evil in the world. Like, 
accidents and sinkholes and stuff. But, but here's the deal. I think the reason this story teaches or touches so many people and teaches us is that we forget to see people the way Jesus sees them. Everybody has a story. And you know, we choose every day the eyes that we're going to use to see people. Eyes of judgment, you need my pearls of wisdom. Or eyes of understanding and love. And I don't know about you, but I think the world is kind of tired of Christians trying to force, that's the key word, force pearls on other people. Truth is, I don't think it's actually our job to go around correcting people, fixing people, giving advice to folks who aren't even asking for it, and always be explaining everything that's wrong in the world and be pointing out what's, what's wrong with this group of people, what's wrong with this group of people, what's wrong with this group of people. It's as if we see the speck in their eye, but not the plank in our own. And I kind of think it's time for followers of Jesus to just come alongside people, people who are sinners just like us and offer hope and healing and truth and servanthood and generosity and love with humility, always with humility, paying attention to the law of supply and demand, right? I kind of think that's how Jesus created what became the most inclusive, inviting movement in the history of humanity. This thing called the church, this very, very imperfect thing called the church. Because you see in Jesus, there is no more division. The dividing wall has been torn in two. There's no more separation between Jew and Gentile and slave and free and rich and poor and male and female. And so I would just encourage you to consider this week, no pearl pushing, no judging, no condemning, no superiority, no comparing, no blaming. Live and be like Jesus. Now, I know this raises some questions. I mean, if you're not supposed to relate to people by correcting them and pointing out their flaws, if you're not supposed to give advice uh, that's not wanted, if you're not supposed to do relationships by correction and criticism, well, then how are you supposed to relate to people, right? What are you supposed to do if, if you're concerned about something going on in their life? Or you see a problem that there's, you want one thing and they want another. Well, Jesus gives us that answer. And it is actually the simplest, best practice for human relationships on earth. It's something that unites people. And it almost magically puts people on the same side. And it's how we are to relate not only to people, but also to God. It's the basic operating system for relationship in Jesus' kingdom. And we're going to talk about it next week. But for this week, no pearl pushing, no judging, no condemning. As you go from one relationship to another, ask God this question, God, would you help me see what you see when you look at this person? Would you help me think what you think and 
feel what you feel and say what you say. And then a little bit of your kingdom, Jesus, will come from up there, down here, and into the life of the person that I'm trying to love, that I'm trying to read, that I'm trying to figure out what is their law of supply and demand. What is their interest? What is their need? I, I don't want to be giving pearls, right? Pearls to pigs. It's not what they need. Pray with me. Father God, we are thankful uh, for the way you work in our lives. You do give us what we need right when we need it. You challenge us, you convict, you confront the sin and the brokenness in our lives. And oftentimes, God, we just won't listen. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to make the priorities in our lives be the things you tell us they should be. We're just going to do it our way. And I marvel at your wisdom and your patience and your methods, Father, and bringing us back to the trough, (laughs) bringing us to a place where the truth does break in and break through. Father, help us as a people to be a praying people where we pray for the world, we pray for our children, we pray for this community and all the communities around us that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Father, help us to be a praying people because that more than anything else seems to make people interested in pearls. Thank you for this time of worship this morning, God. Thank you for this day where we celebrate moms and Would you bless us as we continue to do that throughout the afternoon? In all these things, we say thank you. In all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.